everyone welcome back to another episode of the scrubbed in show this week we have with us another incredible guest we have with us professor sultan mahmoud who is the director of healthcare for bt yes bt you're probably wondering why on earth he's on this show prior to that this probably make more sense he spent two decades in the nhs in various leadership roles and another kicker he was a chief innovation integration and research officer at Royal Wolverhampton. I have no clue what that means. I imagine a lot of our listeners don't know what that means, but absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Sultan. How are you? Um, very, very good afternoon, Abdul. And I'm very good to see you. I'm very delighted to be here. I'm, I'm well. I'm well. Thank you. <laughs> so we tend to start kind of your career journey, where you are now, you're super accomplished. You spent, you know, close to two decades in the NHS. You've seen a fair bit. But tell us kind of the early days of Sultan, you know, as you're embarking on this career, you know, was it marketing, was it media, was it innovation? Kind of bring us up to speed. Yeah, sure. I mean, I spent kind of near on and off 26 years in the NHS. So it's kind of over three decades. Yeah, oh, wow. if, you, if you think wow. it through. So look, um, my, my, my background really. So um, I started off in Big Pharma. Uh, I was a management uh, person at, uh, uh, at GSK. Started my career there in regulatory affairs and that was based in, in around London. Yeah, and for a young kid from the black country in the Midlands, um, it was a big old city. And whilst the company was absolutely privileged to, to work for, I, I, I knew that I wanted to be close to home, um, closer to my kind of elderly parents and, 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 and kind of wider responsibilities. So I, I moved back to the Midlands and the NHS, I, it was my first job. Yeah. And it was, a, I started off as a, a data analyst. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, I was good with numbers. I enjoyed kind of understanding what the impact of numbers could be on kind of delivery and kind of planning and, and things like that. So um, I started off in the NHS as an analyst and I did various jobs really across, you know, in commissioning, I, I worked in planning, um, health protection. I did a bit of work in um, contract management. Um, then I moved more senior into kind of com- senior commissioning roles around kind of service design and delivery and kind of interlocking with um, the provi- provision sector. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, the kind of being the being the, the, the glue that knots the system together. So in those days, there were kind of health boards, health authorities, which then turned into SCGs, which turned into uh, uh, PCT, PCG, sorry, which turned into PCTs, then changed to CCGs. And, you know, it's a constant reorganization every two years. Um, you know, the fixed points in the NHS, if you like the 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 doctors and nurses in, in, in primary care and in, 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 in the provision sector in acute and community mental health, that kind of stays reasonably static and, and the other parts keep getting reorganized. So that's kind of my abiding experience. So, but it's essentially that was the start of it. Then I moved into the acute sector, which, mm. which I found to be really dynamic and, and, and really, you, you really move into the sharp end of things because you can see the ambulances outside. You can see the car park being full. You can see what the on-call rotor is. You can see kind of how many um, people you need to kind of see and discharge to get through the night. So I worked in, in, in a large organization um, and that experience held me in good stead because that's really when the exposure started with direct patient care. Mm. And and, and there's no substitute to kind of dealing with kind of live operational issues um, in, a, in a setting like that, as well as kind of having to interlock with the wider system whilst trying to deliver your own kind of objectives um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a provision organization, but having to kind of work the, 
the, the processes, the business, the politics of, of the system and still trying to kind of do the best thing for patients. Um, so I did kind of, you know, that for a few years. Then I moved into what, a system management role because I wanted to see how it works at the higher level. So NHS England, um, mm. I was fortunate enough to kind of get a, a, a large region and I had and I had the control of direct commissioning of 450 odd million pounds. And that oh, wow. included kind of primary care and, 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 and specialised care, many other things. And I did that for a couple of years. Um, and I, whilst I enjoyed it, I, I think I missed the cut and thrust of um, being the acute sector, moved back to the acute sector, um, but in a different role in terms of, you know, we were very clear that the care pathways needed to change, that the, the, the model was a reactive service, so we need to think further upstream. So we developed kind of integration philosophy before it even became fashionable. Um, mm. And we were the first um, trust to successfully integrate a large section of primary care into the organization that you know the primary care colleagues became part of the organization and um, received all the benefits of having all of the if you like the governance and the and the, and, the, and the finance and the kind of back office functions supporting them so they could focus very clearly with their consultant colleagues in secondary care around uh, longer term conditions so that was the theory of change and it was very similar to the kind of models you will have heard of such as kaiser and things where uh, there's further integrations and 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 then moving on from that once we kind of landed that and and that started to produce some really good outputs and published information on on um, by rand and and kind of good um, peer reviewed studies around kind of impacts on non elective admissions and and, and patient satisfaction and G and primary care access moved into kind of what i feel felt that where where the world was going um which was digital and transformation so mm. i kind of took a kind of lead role in that as a kind of the board director responsible and that encompassed everything really um and, and where we tried to do it differently was a understand that industry is really important and to work with mm. industry and the expertise that they have is absolutely a must um but at the same time kind of be really clear about our problem statements and what we want to achieve for our patients um uh, and and also um, it was an ability to attract inward investment into the NHS because we had really good data sets that comprise primary, secondary and community services care in in real time. We were the, probably one of the first people to do that and use it on a kind of, if you use it before population health became a thing, right? First mm. acute trust in the country to have a public health department and a primary care department in the, in the bowels of the hospital. So the hospital, you know, didn't, wasn't just looking inward, it was looking outwards and sidewards and upwards and downwards. So mm. uh, a really interesting role. And and then because innovation was important and R&D is important, I mean, we saw how important R&D was, you know, the NIHR did a magnificent job during the pandemic. Um, the public mm. lost a bit of a sight of that. But really, mm. it was the NHS doctors and nurses that developed a lot of the kind of uh, the, the data and the science behind the, the vaccines, which was a, a successful rollout. And, and that, that sometimes lost in translation. So um, I, I ran uh, at that time the, the largest clinical research network for the NIHR, um, which gave me a kind of a broadened out experience and it was probably one of the best performing in the country as well. So a really broad brush experience, kind of, you know, strategy, uh, operational stuff, um, system management, R&D, innovation, digital. I've, I've had a, what they call a mongrel of a career and it's, <laughs> been, the it's been the privilege of my life um, serving the NHS. So that's my kind mm. of NHS background. Perfect. I think that lays the groundwork as to who you are and kind of the, the various roles you did. Going back to that journey, the first question that comes to mind, how was the transition from the private sector, pharma, GSK, let's say unlimited budget, to then working in a public sector, NHS? You know, how did that transition feel? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 if you, 
just one underline was really reasonably junior at the time yeah so it's mm. my first first job but immediately you saw the kind of difference in resources and and the way yeah. people were managed i felt that uh Certainly, farmers really, really, first of all, they really look after their staff and, and people are valued. Um, there were great statements like disease has no greater enemy. Um, th th there's a, just a huge emphasis on kind of people and, and looking after people because people will deliver results if they're looked after. That's just a mm. universal rule, right? Yeah. The, the NHS staff survey is nothing more than that. Just trying to get a temperature <laughs> check on that. Yeah. Um, so that was the first thing. The second thing was kind of the focus and the drive. Yeah, I, I think. Um, there was joint commitment. I mean, in my foreign to the NHS, I certainly saw the commitment. Um, people really did want to kind of make a difference. Um, but I suppose the processes, the business process were sharper and slicker and faster. Um, and, and it was a well-oiled machine. And it was for me to kind of understanding that and saying how, how much of that can we kind of pinch with pride, essentially, was my, my thinking. And, and you know, um, that, that, was a, that was a difference in terms of kind of just, just tonality and speed yeah and, and focus mm -hmm. and drive um in terms of the talent in the nhs i mean certainly i mean the, my first impressions were the clinicians were are still very you know they're, they're some of the brightest people on the planet and especially you know we are fortunate enough to have the best trained and you guys know this I i'm quite subjective but you we have the best trained clinicians in the world you know or, or, mm. or amongst amongst the world right so that's I'll take the that. first takeaway, yeah. And, and I just thought, are we, my first question, it was early, day, early days in my management career. It was like, are we putting the right conditions for these Ferraris to kind of really motor? And that was kind mm. of a, a, a bit of restlessness inside me. And I was kind of challenged where it was appropriate. But um, that was, those were my kind of overriding kind of impressions. So commitment on both sides, but, you know, different skills and strengths and weaknesses. Mm. You touched on clinicians, consultants, as clinicians, when we're kind of on the shop floor per se, when we're on the wards and, you know, we're, we're being pushed to do discharge letters, we're pushed to kind of get that flow moving, see more patients. We always have a dig at people like yourselves, right? People yeah. in the suits, the boots and the nice fancy offices. What do you want to say to the clinicians listening to this where, you know, they, they don't trust management, they, they ha they've lost faith in management, you know, because you're not there, you don't know what it feels like. If you had an opportunity to go back to them, what would you say to those clinicians? Look, I, I think I think it's hard. I think it's dangerous when we make blanket statements. So I think, mm. from what I've seen, right, this is all about human human relationships. Yeah. So I think everybody will agree. Some of the systems and processes are sometimes custom and practice, and probably not the best process. Yeah. Mm. Um, the art of the change, if you like, is the change management is is on triumvirate of people from clinical staff to operational management leadership uh, as well as kind of wider support staff i have kind of done those calls and i've been director on call for many years <laughs> and i i've kind of had to pick up the phone and say kind of we need x amount of discharges to get us through the night and, and you know um it's uh, the, the forecast for tomorrow is not looking good and all that kind of mm. stuff and actually largely you know clinicians were amazing you know um they responded positively i do understand what you're talking about because i've, I've had that question asked to me and it's all down to investing the time to have a discussion yeah and say kind of because clinicians are extremely bright people nurses and doctors in this country are bright yeah uh, and actually explaining the rationale is is not going to be lost on them the way we do it yeah and thinking through the alternatives i think if, if everybody thinks through the alternatives look we've got to get through x amount of discharges um to get through the night but clinical safety is always going to override everything mm. yeah so you guys have that card if you like yeah and mm. it's the right thing that you have that card 
but I think where the rub is is when the conversations don't happen. So say we were on call together and I kind of gave you some jip and saying we need some we need some movement guys and you know it's difficult. Yeah. Um, and I'm getting asked for diverts from two other trusts and whatnot, and it's it's challenging, and you know. And if say if it was a bad experience, the, the, what leadership is about is actually say that was a bad experience, and acknowledging that it was, because acknowledging something difficult and not right is is really important, because unless you acknowledge something, you can't really resolve it. Then having the the mature adult conversation, right? How, what was good? What was bad? What can I do? What could I have done differently? to make you who are kind of treating my friends and family in the community, your job a bit easier. And I think mm. that's the bit, you know, where's the social space, yeah, or the capacity to have those conversations. And the organisations that do this really well, the, 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 the culture sets the tone, really. And, you know, there's some amazing examples of positive culture around kind of how clinical and managerial cohorts work yeah. together. Amazing. So I would, I would disagree, Abdul, around, you know, clinicians and, and kind of managers and the suits don't get, well, look, they, in some areas, they get on really well. And, and it's, mm. a, it's a team sport. Yeah. No. Um, but for, for young, young clinicians um, coming up through the system or young kind of management trainees, and, you know, we have excellent management training scheme, is, is let's have a conversation about when things don't go well and what can we do differently? Yeah. And how do we feed that up to our kind of normal channels? But the, as you know, most big organizations work on informal channels. It's the stuff that's not written down. Yeah. And, and that's constantly evolving. So it's on all of us to keep rewriting that stuff. Yeah. Mm, yes, absolutely definitely. i agree with you to talk a little bit about now sort of um the the engagement of clinicians and management and overall operational goals right so we know that one of the major stressors on the nhs is the flow is the load is the growing growing stress on the nhs now where do you see the future because we haven't reached proper december january february period this year and we're already seeing a lot of strain on the ground as well all of my colleagues that there's a bit of stress that's brewing about what's to come um with the nhs do we think do we think we can carry on like this what's your opinion and this is just obviously just hypothesizing about the future but what do you think in the future what's going to happen yeah so i think look whatever we say we need to acknowledge a few things yeah so i mm. think it's universally accepted that the work workforce is an issue um the level mm. of vacancies um and the funding required to kind of you know um um to get that to an even keel is absolutely you know it's a must it needs to happen yeah um our, our teams our clinical teams across the nhs have come through a pandemic and and, and they are on their knees yeah um work i, I say kind of um working on fumes essentially yeah so so the first thing is to acknowledge it's a really difficult difficult task yeah mm. now the workforce needs sorting out but there's there's things that are amenable and addressable so the, the to answer your question very bluntly i don't think it's sustainable future unless we address the workforce yeah then then there's the care models that we need to think through so we are now accepting care that we wouldn't have accepted five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, 12 hour trolley weights are becoming yeah. increasingly in the more. So I think there is general acceptance that kind of care is below the standards that we, you know, pe people want, our, our, the people we serve, but also the NHS, um, you know, we're normalizing poor care. So that needs to be addressed. So it's mm -hmm. not sustainable because no one will, you know, the clinicians won't accept that. So the care models need to be changed. So going from a national kind of reactive sick service, and I, it's, you know, we call it the NHS, but it's actually the national sick service. 
because mm. we respond and react and that's wonderful mm. skill to have and we should retain that but it just can't be everything yeah yeah to move to a national wellness service the care models need to change and we've heard this all of you will have read hundreds of papers around the demography changes you know the number of people who you know with multiple comorbidities who are kind of yeah. 65 70 85 however you cut the cohort are going to kind of double in trouble in the next generation mm. so the demand is going to keep coming and the workforce will never catch up yeah so it, the onus on us is we have to move care outside the confines of the hospital yeah wherever possible yeah. And this is the opportunity because moving to an anticipatory model, yeah, requires bravery and, and requires kind of us to kind of think differently. The whole integrated care agenda, the ICS is kind of that's the theory of change. Mm. The execution perhaps is still being worked through, but that's what the intention is. To make that happen, I think the opportunity is with technology. You can use technology mm. for many things, not just the tech itself because the tech is certainly there. I mean, let's make no bones about that. The tech is there to kind of manage this. It's yep. the systems and processes that need to underpin it and the care pathways needed to, you know, you can't just put tech in and not change the clinical pathway, right? Mm. So the digital pathway, if you like, and the clinical pathway need to change together with the right technology and the right kind of integration and orchestration mechanisms. Yeah, that needs to happen because with that, there, there are some benefits. A, you know, Anything that we can take the load of, you know, busy clinicians like yourselves, yeah, and kind of manage in a different way, that gives you more time to care, yeah, and manage, and, 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 and importantly, the experience of delivering care should also be a metric. So if you guys are mm. feeling like, oh, God, you've had 12 rounds with, you know, Mike Tyson every day, mm. that's just not sustainable, yeah, and, and for patients to get the best outcomes, you know that that anticipatory model needs to take precedence so that that needs to happen really clearly and there are lessons in the nordics that we can pick up you know um around how how people have done that there are lessons in many other countries the new zealand models talked about i've mentioned kaiser you know that there are other countries where they've started to do this really well and we yeah. need to just pinch with pride i think kind of moving on you spent a long time in the nhs you kind of worked your way up senior exec positions actively creating positive change and culture. Tell us a bit more about this opportunity with BT, you know, what the role entails, how did it come about? And, you know, the rationale for making the switch back into kind of the industry per se. Yeah, um, it, it was a kind of deeply personal. I mean, I, I had some, uh, some very bad news on a personal basis and mm. uh, a dear friend of mine kind of moved, passed, up, passed away essentially. Prior to kind of, you know, his demise three or four years ago, we were having lots of conversations around you know my you know the future for him and for myself and you know as you do with your kind of best mate and and and, mm. and he had he said something around the nhs and and what you've done and it's great you really love it you know we think it loves you as well so it kind of it was all great and you know it gave me a life i mean just 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 to be clear it gave me a life the nhs gave me a life i could not ever ima imagined you know coming from very humble beginnings so mm. i had the nhs to thank for everything you know, not only my career but you know three wonderful children um wow. it's care of my family all of that the nhs you know i kind of hold it in high regard but i don't i don't um i don't worship at the altar of the nhs in that sense mm. so it's, it's great but we need to kind of call out where it's not that's over mm. yeah so that's where mm. my positioning is um and, and and essentially my friend said to me look think about the world outside and think about kind of why do you what's the why for you yeah and is there more and i and, and i knew he was right i knew kind of you know the, the time was probably right on, on because of many reasons and bt essentially look picked up the phone and said look 
we are a national company. You know, we've been with the NHS since 1948. Um, we did some amazing things during the pandemic. You know, the, the, you know, we stood up the Nightingale hotels, connected ICUs, field hospitals. Mm. We do a great job with the 999 service. We, as a company, want to, you know, being the premier. Uh, communications company in the country and one of the most trusted brands we want to do better in the nhs but we want to do it differently this time we want somebody who who, who knows and cares about the nhs the people it serves but also understands kind of how technology can positively impact on operational mm. and clinical outcomes we want to do better mm. and i kind of evaluated that and and you know the chief executive uh, philip jansen um the, the global ceo he, he very inspiring guy kind of his his pitch around connecting for good mm. yeah we've got to have purpose behind our jobs and and at the same time help me helping me broaden my horizon those are the two things that came into play and, and i need needed to know bt was serious and we tested that yeah. over a period of months and i got to the head look they, they acknowledge some of the issues and let's just call it out in the room you know the national program for it you guys are probably too young to remember that but there was some there were some missteps there and so the company had learned from its mistakes um, it was very committed that the corporate global goals and it's around sustainability, how it treats its people, um, all of that chimed with my values. And, and I have to say, I mean, in terms of people, I mean, the, the BT leadership and the BT kind of way of things, it, it's really, really positive in that sense. It doesn't mm. get everything. It, it doesn't purport to get everything right, but it's, it's, it's moral compass and trying to do the right thing, you know, it's really important. It, it kind of encourages all of us executives to kind of spend time doing social causes. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and kind of gives us time to do that. You know, volunteering is actively. So all of these things and an ambition to serve, you know, an organization that has 10% of the GDP of the country, the yeah. NHS better. I thought, well, I know about the NHS and I know about technology and, and these guys have got the right stuff about them and they've learned and, you know, why not? And that, that mm. was it, really. And, and you know, to start up a, a fully loaded healthcare vertical um, shows real investment and, and real intent. And they, you know, they did that. So that, that was kind of the, the reasons behind it. And it's been, it's so far, it's been an amazing, humbling experience, but amazing. amazing. Thank you for sharing that. A question about sort of uh, the big tech, the industry partners now. So yesterday I was doing some research, right, about the future of the NHS and how I personally think we need industry, big tech, and everyone involved for the future of what healthcare could look like. Now, from yourself, I would like to also ask you, do you think, A, we first even need big tech, industry, and everyone involved for the future of healthcare? And can you tell us maybe a, a one or two or three reasons why we do need it? Because when speaking on the ground again to our colleagues or consultants, they will say, no, 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 all we need is the government to just give us a load of cash to the management. It funnels down and everything gets scaled up and it's just pristine from there on. Um, tell us a little bit why about industry has a role to play. Look, I think, um, first of all, the answer is not always give us more money and we'll sort it. Now, funding mm. needs to be right fitted and right sized for the challenge mm. ahead. And, 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 and there are clever people to do that. I mean, we did. I remember you guys were too young, but in 2000, gosh, it was um, 2007, <laughs> eight, I think we kind of started on 18, 18 weeks. And at that time, it seemed like an insurmountable challenge. But we did lots of equilibrium analysis and we kind of went through the stages of treatment and it was a national effort. And we got down to kind of, you know, 90 and 95% of people not waiting more than 18 weeks for kind of from referral to treatment. Yeah, it's a major mm. achievement. 
it required investment but it what but investment came with a with a with a give and a get yeah mm. so in more and more money is not the answer just i want to yeah. put it there yeah uh, funding needs to be right sized workforce needs to be right sized and invested in but you know you know no, no one or no country can just keep playing money in so the second point is the the power of technology so we talked about technology so I can talk about BT, for example. So BT mm. has global customers. It has customers in the FTSE 100. And we take our customers on transformation journeys. We do amazing work in the world of fintech and, and, and kind of major government and, and other areas. And we take organizations on transformational journeys. Um, and because those organizations, they, they realize they have a really deep understanding of their, you know, their pain points. Yeah. Mm. And are not always aware of what the technologies out there that can enable that. Where companies like BT and and many many other companies, you know, we can mention Microsoft, AWS, mm. um, Google, um, the SME community. You know, many 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 other organisations have serious deep expertise in in the technology. I think the marrying of of that expertise with kind of the operational pain points and the clinical pain points is is, is vitally important, because where the public are in this is that, you know, they are immensely digitised. And digitally enabled in most aspects of their life from their banking yeah. to whatever aspect if you think about your day-to-day -day, just think about from from the moment you woke up how digitally engaged you are in all aspects if you yeah. were a customer of the nhs you're probably thinking i'm not that digitally enabled yeah actually mm. yeah and, and and in that is the fact that those all those sectors have engaged with the experts yeah to come up with the solutions yeah and then mm. build uh, and then kind of build those solutions and scale them up yeah yeah. Now, because all the knowledge is not on one side, I think the kind of the, the bilateralism or multilateralism that's needed between academia, um, the NHS and, and the commercial sector is vitally important. The mechanisms are not not been great. Yeah, people are fear about kind of procurement and other things like that. But I can tell you, you know, and, and I deal with all of these large large companies and the SME community in, in healthcare. Mm we are very adult around kind of we know that engaging with the nhs does not necessarily result in a contract yeah but there should my my personal view is there should be a digital strategy for each patch which there is and in holding to account of that digital strategy the, the, the best of industry yeah patients and citizens yeah and the system need to work together yeah and hold each other to account yeah mm. you know if if bt came into a kind of thought leadership space and the solution was not BT, but you know we knew that oh god microsoft or amazon could really sort this or i know mm. this sme partner or i know this kind of virtual care partner or i know this diagnostic partner that could really sort this we have the networks and i think it's not always easily available to them so kind of problem statements need to be kind of publicly available mm. uh, and the digital strategy public uh, and 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 that confluence of those three sectors need to kind of work hand in glove and the governance has to be kind of worked out now france if you think about what they're doing with the national strategy of healthcare in france and digitization there's some lessons to be learned there's something to look at but think about countries like estonia i know it's a smaller geography but you know nine out of ten uh, patients have longitudinal library write records yeah oh, wow 90 percent of those prisoner prescriptions are digitized all of the patients um have access 99 percent of the patients have access to their records but also um, where they, where for whatever reason it's not appropriate, their their carers do, or their uh, their kind of designated users. So there's lots of things to kind of learn from other sectors. The, mm. the other thing I think is that the NHS needs is is that kind of digital leadership. 
yeah, and change management mm. capability. So digital leadership exists exists kind of in in companies like ours and other places, right? Why not tap into that? Knowing mm. that we're not going to, we all we are all adult enough to know that not not everything's going to end up in a contract, but you you will get that leadership, yeah, mm. and then. And 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 then and, and there's a level of group thing and dynamism can perhaps be uplifted. So that's that's another thing. So I think it's really important. Some of the best innovations have happened when you've got you know the best heads around the table, and yeah. I think yeah. that's that's really important. And I, but also we also know the kind of pathway change and digital translation, if you like, is really important. Yeah, the tech is not the clever thing. The the translation of the tech is the clever thing. Exactly. Right? And implementation journeys need to kind of be funded and supported. Uh, and actually, I think even the, t the tech sector can help in that as well, yeah, to understand that and how it would do. So there's a lot of expertise there. The NHS is everybody's tax, not just people who work in the NHS, but we all pay tax. So we all we all want the NHS to succeed. And I think yeah. if we're getting the best bang for our buck, I think everybody will be up for the challenge. But I think the mechanism needs to be thought through um, Absolutely. Uh, carefully. If you just kind of shed a bit more light, is there an example you can shed about something BT is doing right now that will kind of make sense in how BT plays a role in the NHS? Because for a lot of people, you know, they, they perceive BT as, you know, a, a telephone communications provider. You know, what's a real tangible thing they're doing right now in the NHS? Look, I, I can give you some examples. So, you know, I've talked about kind of the core infrastructure that we ran. Yeah, yeah. you know, we run, we run the 999 service. We we run, we connect 35% of the country through the kind of HSCN, health service, health and social mm. care core network. Yeah. So we kind of have a lot of data running through our veins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 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 the the expertise we bring is that kind of big business B2B capability, trust and assurance. Yeah. Yeah. Delivery chops, as we call it in in my neck of the woods. Yeah. Mm. What we're doing in healthcare, there are, there are a few things. So, you know, if you think about um, infrastructure and kind of clouds, yeah, hmm. from the network layer to the kind of application layer, um, there is an increasing need to move to kind of hi hybrid or full cloud into the NHS um, for various yeah. reasons. For A, for sustainability, access and agility of data, data equity, data provision, yeah, all of that. Mm. So we're working with a couple of health economies. I think, you know, uh, Liverpool's one of them, University Hospitals Liverpool, where we've kind of created a multi-cloud environment that has the capability to kind of onboard 20 or 30 organizations into that, yeah, mm. thereby kind mm. of reducing the total cost of ownership. So in, in addressing the kind of gap and re returning the money, but also improving access to data. So that's kind mm. of one thing. So kind of cloud infrastructure, I think, is going to be really important, and, and we're into that. Um, in the more kind of clinical space, if you like, you know, um, we have a series of partners who we are taking to the market into the NHS in terms of virtual care, virtual ward and care closer to home. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and, and as we've talked about, we've got to move the, the dial on on kind of care that's outside of the walls of the hospital, but we've got to do it at scale. Yeah. yeah. And what BT brings to that mix is not the SME play, which is kind of a ward here and there, but it's the ability to scale. And we're working yeah. through some areas in, in, in that. We have to kind of be mindful to where the country is, you know, 7.75 million um, on, a, on a waiting list. Um, yes. It's sober and it's hard. Uh, um, but also the underpinning stories of those people are heartbreaking. I was on Radio 4 last week and there was a call in and, you know, I was asked my opinion and listening to two or three of our own people, people yeah. that 
are in the country who are kind of going through this and their complications that have psycho and physiological but also psychological is heartbreaking so we need to get to grips with that now in the stages of treatment the thing that is really amenable to tech is diagnostic so one of the things we're doing is we're applying three three pronged attack on it so we know that there's really good promise as kind of um a in in radiology around um the reporting of kind of scans you know yeah uh, and 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 the ai algorithms that are kind of ce or um fda approved are reporting really good levels you know 99% upwards right oh, and they can kind of segment kind of, kind of a take as they kind of say to the radiologist who will always be in charge that's the thing we need to remember the clinicians will always be in charge this is a a co-pilot this is an assistant this is a support measure yeah to say look of the 55 these are the three you want to have a look at and this is what i think okay. it is what do you think it is doc yeah now mm. that 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 kind of agnostic platform can sit on top of any paxil risk system so that's something we're bringing out and again we're bringing the kind of if you like what's around it so that's clever mm. technology is done by the partner uh, organizations that we've onboarded and got ready and all that kind of stuff and they are excellent excellent proven record in europe yeah particularly mm-hmm. in germany but if you if you add the cybersecurity, the business continuity the connectivity around it yeah it becomes a really viable proposition that's kind of something real and today on, on the truck now happening um, yeah the other th- the other thing is as you will know I've, I've appointed a clinical board at bt yeah so very senior clinicians who have had buying and operating experience in the NHS. When I say operating, I mean kind of, you know, taking tech and making it work and, 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 and leadership roles and board roles. And they mm. know the journey that tech must take. So everything we do is rooted in kind of being clinically led and digitally deliverable. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of under, making sure it works, first of all, um, making sure it's safe, effective. Yeah. That, that it kind of leads to well-led caring responsive. Yeah. All of that is kind of carpet core part of the cqc inspection regime we're trying to kind mm. of get tech kind of absolutely wound into that so we have clinicians kind of driving our thinking and and saying mm. no don't do that that's rubbish that's never going to work that's really important it's important yeah. to rule stuff out right yeah. understand yep. problem statements um and, and and they've pointed us in kind of we need to do something in diagnostics so that's one example of of what we're doing in diagnostics we've had lots of impact on patients and their communications particularly during this hard time so we've developed a kind of ai-based uh, patient concierge system which we're really excited about to take um, and again we are a communications company we're going to help yeah. with communication right and it will work on any device yeah and the patient mm-hmm. will only get responses we personalize responses based on the inputs or the kind of source data in the nhs organizations and i'm really looking forward to kind of taking that out on, on and scaling that across the country um and and there's kind of easy things around kind of tech enablement yeah so if you think about radiology again yeah there's a global shortage of radiologists right yeah. they, you know if we can kind of expand the workforce and people can kind of access and report on records on their devices um you know in an information go- governance safe way um, mm. through technology we can do that so you know we have a we have a really interesting technology that kind of delivers the scans on a normal 500 pound laptop but very high fidelity yeah mm. and as long as a clinician is kind of linked into the kind of governance system boom you've got you've just expanded your workforce it's crazy yeah? yeah yeah so this is real stuff this is not this is not um fairy tales this is kind of in the <laughs> truck right now now how do how do we as a system then think about how do we kind of rapidly kind of mobilize this yeah yeah um so that's so that that's that's the that's the interesting challenge yeah that's the interesting challenge 
A follow-up question on quickly about AI. So again, I was uh, really thinking about sort of AI hallucinations and thinking about when we're putting AI into the hands of our patients, have we reached a point of safety already with regards to AI hallucinations, i.e. giving dangerous responses? to patients or clinicians even? So AI, look, it's, it's uh, AI hallucinations. It's kind of topical, right? And I, I'm mm. not going to delve too much into it. I, I, will give you, mm. I, I will give you kind of where we are with AI and where I think we should yeah. focus. Yeah. First of all, I think definitional, definition is important because some of it's AI, some of it's generative, non-generative, some of it's la large language model-based and some of it's not. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think we can all agree, right, that it's here. So, yeah. you know, from, from ChatGPT, right, it's entered the public kind of lexicon. It's kind of in everybody's attention. People use it, whether we like it or not, people will ask ChatGPT, what do you think this is and, and what not. Yeah. So it's there, yeah? Uh, and we need to be kind of understanding that the public will respond to this. So there are responses got to be really, uh, for, in terms of industry and the NHS, is going to be really important. So we have very, very strict protocols that, you know, a BT around kind of how we advanced AI and, and we will do it on a kind of validated, very high governance way. Yeah. Yeah. But let's think about where the opportunities are. The opportunities actually are in non-clinical stuff. Number one, A, yeah. because the regulatory barrier is lower. Yeah. yeah. Um, the ethical framework is kind of more manageable. Yeah. But if you think about just, just some examples around, just think about HR processes. How long does mm. it take to kind of get the paperwork done to recruit someone and all of the other things? <laughs> The machine can do that really quickly with high fidelity. Yeah, yes. think about kind of NHS back office. If we're if if we are struggling um, for people, then how much of the roles that we can kind of that the machine can do in terms of non-clinical admin roles that kind of that we can do? There's a huge amount there, and other industries are doing it. So I think admin-based, you know, um, uh, AI and ML-based tasks, we should just do that. There should be a plan, yeah. and we should just go for that large. On a clinical footing, right? You know, I've talked about kind of, you know, um, non-generative stuff. I think there's there's real opportunities. Yeah. So mm -hmm. kind of, you know, radiology is a really good area. You know, there's the 21 million AI fund, and that's all based on sensible things with good evidence behind it. You know, yes. um, we, we need to do that. On a broader philosophical level, I think there's a lot of hype. Large language models and their applications are probably a few years away, but I think the opportunity there is kind of you know large language models by definition it's large data sets interconnected yeah. data sets and the ability to kind of take the, the source data and do something interesting with it. Population health comes to mind, resource and business planning comes to mind. Um, if you think about um, how systems are operating in terms of demand and capacity and the logistics of all of that, yeah, it's reasonably helter skelter and reactive. Well, actually, you can start to kind of predict. The whole flow you know of yeah. kind of you know patients mm. and and kind of demand and capacity and you can and, and the kind of ai can really help with that i think that's where the opportunity is. clinically right i think the future is going to be kind of mdt based and ai will be in the room yeah mm. but again yeah. i think clinicians will be in charge which is which is what we'll always want and 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 it's you know the mdt process will need to take precedence ethicists will need to be consulted but it's going to be purpose specific yeah? Yes. And the data and the bias kind of inherent in that will need to be made available at the point of design and delivery. Yeah. And, yeah. and con constantly reviewed. So now imagine that 
Pandora's box of governance, that needs to be carefully constructed. So I wouldn't worry too much about that at this stage. There's so much low-hanging fruit that we can go yeah. for that we don't need to Absolutely. think about big philosophical things in the immediate because the, the right people are, you know, nice are. Yeah, I, I know. I know the kind of you know the senior NHS management are. I know that the kind of companies like us and our people who are working there are thinking about these things. Um, yep. But why aren't we doing the kind of basic stuff really quickly right now? Yeah. No, I agree. And I, I think agree. you're all right. The low-hanging fruits is is the the admin, the clerical, non-clinical side of things, and and, and there are lots of startups innovating in that space right now, right? From registration, yeah. workflows, rotors, you know. All, all of that is easily doable and probably do better doable than, than we can exactly. do as a human. It, it might be that it tells you, look, don't close, close the, don't close and don't open up another surgical bed. There might be another opportunity because we can yeah. see, the, you know, computer can see exactly. this and, and yeah. And last time we did this, there was a 50% chance of success. It's, it's stuff like that where, you know, <laughs> I, I saw something the other day and I was fascinated. There was a, um, if you think, do you know what the cow is? The, the, the old kind of dead terminal that's carried around in yeah. wards, right? And, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And people are people are still sometimes taking notes on on tissue paper and taking it back to nurses station, right? Yeah. I've seen these integrated headsets like the ones we've got on, right? That transcribe and generate a kind of response that goes straight into a record. Yeah. Some of our, some of the EPR systems are kind of are conducive to that, and you could kind of write back into that. so stuff like that. Just imagine any moment of time that we can save a nurse or a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it is to have five minutes to breathe or a cup of tea or to kind of talk to a colleague saying, oh, interesting case last week. Right. That's a good thing. So how much time can we save on that? Okay. Multiply that up across the region. That technology exists today. Yeah, I know. It, it, and then, you know, the startups I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Can I just say something, a funny story? So one of our consultants in one of the old hospitals I used to work with dictates the ward round. But he never kind of goes around or kind of goes and corrects it. And like the plan is like so butchered, right? So he goes around, dictates it, you know, smashes out the ward round. And, you know, when you're going back to see the jobs list and the ward plan, you hear like the most funniest stuff. And, you know, it, it does help. And, and I can see where it goes. But like some of the, the plans, it doesn't, you know, it, it comes up with some obscene stuff because of typos and stuff like that. But no, yeah. I think that the technology is incredible. I just, this is a story that yeah. came to my head right now, as you mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. And the te the, there is technology that really does that in a, in a really sensible way. And the time saving, yeah, it's amazing. huge. And, and to have that information available to the patient, the clinician, the system, you know, in real time, it's, it's so important. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah, I remember when we first, when I was a first junior, just like, we didn't even have cows, we had paper notes, you're faffing around, you're going to the ward, you're kind of writing down what the consultant is describing, and you're all over the place. Like, it's the little stuff like this that's like we desperately need it and and, and there really are low hanging fruits but um sultan i want to thank you so much for coming on sharing your journey i think you have yet you know more incredible things to do and achieve but thus far you know you've you've, you've done wonders for the nhs and, and no, soon no don't, don't don't say stuff like that i, I <laughs> look uh, people have done uh, the, the nhs and and people in industry um are are really committed i mean there are so many amazing mm people that we have in our country and i think that the trick is you mentioned this with the kind of how do we get to work together that needs to be yeah. thought through uh, and there's a couple mm. of things i just wanted to mention just because i think it's important i, I think 
you know, whether it's AI or anything else, right? Data is the kind of fuel that kind of drives the next kind yes. of 20, 30, 40 years in terms of how healthcare is designed. So I think the data architecture of the country needs a, a really good look at and, and we need to make sure it's optimized and there's some good work going on, but there's more to do. But also all of these technologies, you know, applications and, and kind of networks and stuff, we haven't got the infrastructure. Yeah, you know, people mm. are leaving theatre block to make calls still, right? There's there's not spots in hospitals. You know, fifty percent of staff think there's a issue around technology. So we need to invest in the infrastructure to make sure you know that it's fit for the future. And that's yeah. this is why BT is so interested in this. So if we can help to do that, yeah. uh, and and kind of scale it, we are committed to that because you know just. You know, I remember the pitch to me when I was kind of being thought about. Think about the Japanese bullet train. It runs on really good tracks. That's why it's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. And with, you know, my, the way I've characterized it in my own head is our clinicians, yeah, Mm. and the tech are like bullet, Japanese bullet train, really good. But infrastructure and and, and if you like the kind of underpinning change management capability is is the tracks and that's not good enough quite yet. Uh, so we all have to work together to do that. And 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 without the infrastructure, all of this is just theoretical. So we've got to get yeah. that right. Yeah, the connectivity, the infrastructure is clearly important. That's why BT and people like BT are really important. No, I definitely Absolutely. agree. And, and I think that's a nice way to, to end this, this, this conversation. Thank you once again for, for coming on. Um, and we look forward to sharing this with the world soon. Yeah, ha- look, have a great day and thank you for your time. It's been a real privilege. Nice. Cheers. Nice. Thank you.